0: I'm Laura Youngkin
1: of The Brave Millennial.
2: This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Greenrope and author of CRM for Dummies.
0: I'm Alison bloom the
1: founder and CEO of Know Your Crew.
2: This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge
1: Confectionary. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Episode 29. We are high gear in Season 2. This is Chris Williams, High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Thank you so much for listening. Now, today is part two of my interview that I had with a millennial CEO who is in a very unique space in the tech world with his own startup firm that helps companies build from the beginning to the end with their technology idea app. You name it. They do it over thirty five thousand investors who are able to help companies worldwide, and they've done a lot. Uh, There's too many to count so far, but they're based right here in the United States in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is part two of my interview, and so the first part, you got an opportunity to hear how Paul was able to uh, put this company together, how he's thought about uh, where the company needs to go, and more importantly, what's it like being a millennial running a company? This gentleman is fascinating and you are going to love part two. So I don't want to waste any more of your time. Here's part two of my interview with Paul Powers, the CEO of Zuzler. Going back to something you just mentioned, you know, you put everything on your calendar. <laughs> like you said, if I'm going to eat a cookie, I'm putting it on my calendar, you know, but it, it allows you one of the ways when I hear you say that, I kind of think about it, it just allows me not to have to remember. Right. If I go ahead and put on the yeah. calendar, I don't have to remember it. Guess what? My phone's going to or my email inbox is going to tell me, hey, you're supposed to do this right now. Great. Then I can go do that. But it also gets down to something more that I, I'm interested in and in curious on your take on on the overall health of an executive. Um, I think it's something that uh, is is well documented. Right. But not necessarily in the sense of understanding how to maintain uh, a healthy uh, lifestyle that works best for you as an executive. Uh, so when I heard your, your the way you structure your calendar and how prioritized your days are to me, that means that you are taking the step necessary to make sure that you have your healthy mentally. Right. As opposed to trying to remember the 400 things in your head only because you refuse to write things down. Right. So so that doesn't mean I that find you it don't very freeing. Absolutely. So, so talk a little more about what are the things that you do outside of things like that, that kind of, you know, contribute to your, your overall health and just efficiency as a CEO.
2: Sure. So mental health, I think is uh, extra is vital. If you're running a company, Uh, it's probably one of the most, it can be one of the most stressful jobs out there. It can also be one of the least stressful jobs depending on how you run your company. For me, uh, it has a tendency to get. It would be very overwhelming all the time if I wasn't as organized as I am. And uh, if you were to look at, you know, my bedroom, you would not classify me as an organized person. But if you looked (laughs) at my calendar, you would say I'm very, very organized. Right. So it depends on what you're looking at. Uh, I'm very organized when it comes to my schedule because if I'm not, you pointed this out splendidly before. You have to remember all those things, and. What we'll do, and I don't I don't have a background in psychology, so I can't explain why, but I know that we, everyone has a tendency to constantly stress subconsciously over things that they have to remember to do or things that they can't go home without accomplishing. And if I write it down on my calendar, it frees me from that thought. It says, at this time, this will be taken care of, especially things that are very stressful emotionally, you know, um, an email that you're really dreading writing to somebody, responding to a letter that is you know, aggressive, talking to somebody about a very difficult topic, you know, whatever it is, I think those are especially important to schedule because you otherwise dwell on everything the entire day and you are not efficient at anything that you do. So some of the things that I do, and there may be better ways of handling this, but my personal tips, things that I do that help me, uh, one, scheduling everything on the calendar both for uh, meetings with other people but also things that I want to accomplish at certain times. Uh, I also mark my emails unread until I've finished them. So if I have somebody who sends me an email and I read it and I don't deem that to be very, very high priority, it has to be responded to right now, I'll mark it as unread and then I'll come back to it later when I have time. I also organize my inbox by unread emails showing up at the top because I do that. And one other thing that I do is I'll write myself emails as a reminder to do something at some unspecified point in time. So if I, it's not something I want to put on my calendar, if it's just a more general note or if it's something that uh, is a low priority that can happen whenever, I'll mark it as uh, I'll send it to myself as an email, make sure that it's marked unread. And there's software you can download that I find very helpful. Uh, Streak is one of them. And uh, what I like to do is if there are notes in my calendar or in my inbox or if I have emails I've received from somebody else, just to make sure they don't get lost in that giant list of things, I'll uh, select them and set a reminder. So those emails will actually disappear until a certain time on a certain day and then they'll reappear. And that gives me the ability to work on lower priority things over the weekend and only look at high priority things today. Uh, it, it sounds complicated. It's actually extremely easy to do. Everything that I mentioned can be done here in five minutes. And uh, I don't know how to be able to function without it.
1: And and those are kind of like what I call life hacks. I mean, you you are Absolutely. definitely hacking your life in order to be more efficient. Um, I read recently an article about, uh, you know, some, some ultra, you know, successful like Mark Zuckerberg and the Jeff Bezos and the Tim Cooks of the world who uh the reason why they always wear the same thing is so that way they don't have to waste brain power trying to figure out what to wear so oh, everything I'm, i, is I pretty i'm
2: the same way <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to equate myself with their brain power i'm, I'm all i'm trying to, i'm extremely lazy with things like that i wear pretty much the same thing um
1: i would definitely say that eventually i think i'm getting there because i, I, I i'm not that particular ultra thoughtful around those things but i will say that um I struggle. And right now I I tend to look at this pretty much every other day. So I know somewhere, someone I'm getting ready to deal with it, but I like for my closet to be very, very, very organized because I don't want to have to struggle with where things are. So, um, but it's interesting that you have that sort of life hack already built in to even just the the scheduling and the laying out of things and the way you plan. And so shifting gears here, I want to grab your thoughts on something. Um, There's a conversation that I've been having with several CEOs who uh, uh, their their episodes are upcoming. And so it's been a fascinating portion of conversation to have. Um, And it's around middle management. Um, It's around that role. Some companies and people call it the frozen middle. Right. Of large corporations and, and what have you. I'm interested in your opinion and I'll just ask it bluntly here. Do you think middle management is dying? And why do you think that may or may not be? That's a
2: good question. As I think it's hard to get a one-size-fits-all about ministry. day so technology is going to automate a lot of things for a lot of people. Um, you know, we can talk about very specific areas of technology that are going to develop, but in general, there's one common trend, and that is automation. And the rule of thumb that I've sort of picked up on is that if you do anything that is repetitive and does not require creativity, your job is, it has an expiration date that's pretty soon because t- technology, especially software, is going to get rid of it. At the same time, I embrace that, and I don't think there's anything bad about that whatsoever. Um, we don't have blacksmiths everywhere like we used to or cobblers, but we have app developers, and we have people with much more creative roles. And I think that if software or a robot can replace what you do every day for a living, it probably should. Your brain power is much better spent in a creative role. So to answer your question, if the middle management role is repetitive, tedious, and requires no creativity, then yes, I think that's a role that's going and should go away and will go away. However, in some companies, that middle management role looks different. In some companies, um, it's really just a, go-between between the CEO and a certain division of their company, and I find it important to have somebody who's essentially a mini-CEO of a certain area of the company. It, uh, it kind of goes back to micromanagement. Uh, if middle management helps you avoid micromanaging people because you're not trying to look at everybody's business all the time, that's probably a good thing. One, uh, structure that, I've, that I'm have very, very fond of and I've always used, and uh, this might not work for everybody, but I actually like to share power and responsibilities with different people in the organization in different ways. Uh, I, for example, normally like to have a president of a company that I'm involved with, or at least a COO, uh, meaning that that person's responsible for the internal operations of the company while my responsibilities as the CEO is external. That allows me to focus on partnerships, it allows me to focus on large sales, complicated deals, uh, the long-term vision of the company, and I sort of view myself as the steering wheel, whereas the COO or the president, what have you, is much more the engine, equally important, but if you can't be doing everything at the same time and expect to be just as efficient. And so in a more restricted sense, I think that middle management can have a role, it really comes down to what your definition of middle management is and what their responsibilities are.
1: Absolutely. Now that, that is fascinating because I think you, you hit something that I think probably needs to be explored and I'm sure is being explored by a lot of companies now on role clarity, right? Where should, you know, those layers really be spending their time? What does that investment look like And being, and being also honest as well? Right. To your point, you know, if I'm the CEO, then for me, what's best is to be outside of this company, not stuck in it, trying to do, you know, trying to, you know, turn the wheels and the engine. That makes no sense because you're not really being effective in getting the company out there. Whereas, as you mentioned with the president, they can handle internal operations. They can take care of those things that are in there. Uh, I, I see now one of the big buzzwords that is happening with one particular role is the chief people officer. Right, so they're all focused <laughs> on people. You know, they're they're all invested in the culture. They're all focused in the in the in the org development, right, of the company. So that is definitely something that I think that over time, with more and more technology, as you mentioned, that will come into companies and to play with very automated and uh, uh, um, uh, rudimentary and just kind of mundane, you know, jobs. Uh, the idea of being a creative. And being someone who is uh, focused more on not just pressing that same button over and over all day, but maybe how the button works, simplifying the button, (laughs) you know, those things will become more and more important. So um, I'm interested in a couple of the pieces here just based on our conversation, which is really interesting. Um, you You mentioned about being a CEO and focused outward of the company. What would you say? When you're, when when you're through your process, as you mentioned, you guys get 5,000 applications a week, which I find mind boggling. <laughs> um,
2: 500, no, just, just 500. <laughs> oh, 500, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, so
1: 500 a week, mm-hmm. which is still a lot to do. What are some of the common things that you notice uh, when you're getting these applications that are kind of some of those common pitfalls or things that you just notice um, in a lot of companies? Because uh, what I also want to do is kind of help our audience member who may be listening to this who might be you know in that space of right they're trying to submit their idea in there whatever right help sure. help that particular person understand you know a better way to maybe submit or some of those common pitfalls that you' you guys kind of see as a as as normal almost which is you know not a good thing but I want you to be able to shed some light on that and what should they do to correct those things?
2: All right. Well, I can only uh, you know, give my perspective. Uh, I gave a speech a while back in front of a group of startup entrepreneurs, and um, one of the questions was, you know, what are the secrets to getting into Gisler Tech Lab? And I said, it's not a secret. Uh, you're, and the odds aren't – I don't like the word odds. If you use the – sure, one in 500, one in 1,000 people, very low percentage get in, but it's really a 100% or a 0% chance of getting in. Um, we look for a few simple traits. People are, I think are kind of astonished by how simple it is, um, and how often people just don't match those criteria. Uh, uh, you should look for an area where you have a unique amount of knowledge. You have some sort of, some people would call it an unfair advantage. You should have secret sauce. There should be something that makes your company hard to replicate. It's important that people understand the difference between a lifestyle business and a, and a business that can actually get investment money, a lifestyle business being one where you'll live a fairly comfortable life, but that's it. And uh, the company that I would want to invest in would be one that has a lot of growth potential. The more that you can show that growth potential, the better. Uh, we get a lot of ideas in that are really just at the idea stage, and we do sometimes work with them. Actually, quite a few of them are just at the idea stage. But it is a lot easier to, pr- to work with somebody once they've proven that there's merit to the idea. And I would be honest with yourself about what your strengths are. And if you don't like those strengths and you want a role that doesn't really match well with those strengths, then you need to improve yourself before you look to build a company. And, you know, Some people are really well-suited to be CTO and not CEO. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if they want to be the CEO of the company, they need to learn the different uh, traits and the different skill sets that they're going to require for that job one of the most common pitfalls that i see is that someone will apply and they'll have already built something wonderful and it's a fascinating product Um, i saw one just yesterday that blew my mind it was so cool and i thought and i told the guy i said that was one of the coolest demonstrations i've ever seen in my life i love what you've built there's no way i'm going to help you i cannot help you at all whatsoever and you know the problem was that he was so focused on the technology that he had no idea who would ever buy it, why they would buy it, how he would sell it, any kind of a strategy, and he was dead set on leading the company. And I think that the guy is a genius. I think he is one of the smartest people I've ever met, wonderful coder. There's no way I think that he can run a business currently with his current state of mind and his current skill sets because he doesn't have the right knowledge set to sell that product, and he doesn't have... um, and he hasn't spent any time really learning how to fix that. So you know, I I don't like turning people down and not giving them a reason. So I, I always tell people, you know, this is a reason why we're not going to work with you now. This is what I'd like to see happen before we do decide to work with you. Um, and you know, I try to make sure that doesn't come across as arrogant or in any way condescending. I realize that we're probably wrong sometimes, and people have great opportunity, and we're just not seeing it. But you know, we do have a formula that works and we can only take on so many people at a time. So we look for the ones that clearly meet these criteria. So the ideal person to summarize for us is somebody who has experience in the market. Uh, let me Actually, let me give you an exact example. Um, sure. I used this analogy last week and I think it worked out pretty well for people. Uh, if you run a brewery and you have an idea for an app, that will help brewers run breweries better, then you are infinitely better positioned to run that startup than I would be having a company that develops technology. Even if I show up with one of the most amazing looking applications for managing breweries ever and it's super neat looking and it has all this cool functionality to it, the problem is that I don't actually know what a brewer needs. I can try to find out. (laughs) Uh, and I don't have those connections. I don't have that experience. I don't speak the lingo. So I would either need to overcome that through a lot of work or you know, find something where I do understand the market. So a brewer who has an idea for an app, even if they have no idea what an app is or how to code anything whatsoever, they understand the struggles and they understand who needs what and how to communicate that. So that's the person that we'd be looking for. Also somebody who's really committed to an idea. A lot of people... Come to us with ideas, and they're good, and they have a lot of experience in that area. And then the question falls comes into what's your level of dedication to your concept? You're going to be asking an investor to spend tons of money, sure, and we'll be spending tons of time working together with you on this. If you're looking at this as a hobby that you're doing once in a while, every other evening when you've got time and you're not, you know, and you're in the mood for it, you know, why on earth would anyone behind that you have to be very dedicated to it so in our program we actually require that while we uh, if if we make a direct investment for example we want before the next investment tranche comes in not only for certain things have been achieved on the tech side and
1: um... no did we lose are you there yes okay (laughs) So you were saying that on the before making an investment, uh, you kind of dropped out there.
2: Okay, I'm sorry. No, I said that uh, if we were to make a direct investment, we would want to make sure that certain milestones are reached by the entrepreneur and business development, that they either obtain an LOI or they make a sale or a partnership You know, before we would go forward because we want to prove to ourselves that that investment's worthwhile because that individual is dedicated to
1: the cause as much as we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and and those are good things to know, I think, because so many times, right, uh, everybody wants the opportunity, but to your point, um, and I think that's pretty fascinating. I mean, to understand what those people need in that space is more important than the really cool app that you've you know, created. I don't think I've ever heard that, but I understand from your perspective because you guys are thinking about the overall growth of the business, not just this really cool trinket that somebody else has created, who doesn't understand the business at all of what they built for. Um, so, when you think about uh, just the future of Zuzler, when you think about um, where you're looking to take this company, share with the audience a little bit about kind of what's what's the future like for, for, for zoos what kind of, you know, what kind of spaces and industries are you, are you all, you know, really working in, uh, that, you know, you guys see where the next, you know, 10 or 15 years, um, you know, things are, might be changing in technology.
2: Sure. So one of the big initiatives that we have right now, uh, besides growing funds for direct investment is also, expanding our territory, uh, it's important to us to have as much of a local presence everywhere as we can so we can help people as much as possible there in that ecosystem. Um, with regard to what technologies we're, on, we're looking for, it's difficult to give that sort of an overview and I'm sure that by the time you know this podcast is Next months old, it'll change because you know the, the the waves do do, do change a lot. <laughs> yeah. Right now, there's a there's a lot of interests um, that, at least in the circles that you know we are with, in uh, health technology and financial technology, uh, education technology to some extent, uh, media technology, and um, to some extent also automotive technology as well. which is um, an interesting area for non-physical applications, actually. (laughs) Uh, Augmented reality, I think, is uh, very fascinating. I think that it has not received quite as much attention uh, in the past couple of years as virtual reality has. Um, I think that people who switch to augmented reality, my prediction would be that that's probably going to be a little bit more profitable of an area than virtual so we've been looking for augmented reality-type applicants more so than virtual reality.
1: And tell us the difference um, between
2: the two. Augmented reality uh, interacts with your, quote-unquote, real reality. So imagine um, Microsoft, so like HoloLens is an example. There are apps on tablets now. Uh, Google Glass was probably one of the first things um, that was you know, well-known that was in the augmented reality space. Essentially, I'm looking through glass and living my life, but augmented reality helps me by showing me more information or making the world around me more interactive. Whereas virtual reality, um, when you put on a headset, uh, you're essentially blinded to the real world. You're in a different reality. Um, When you look around up and down, you're still seeing things, but they're typically not mixing with what's actually around you. So that space is very interesting for entertainment, for video gaming, and any area where you want to be immersed in a different area, a different world, essentially. So I think for entertainment, virtual reality has a very bright future. I think for practical applications and B2B applications, uh, augmented reality is probably going to be a, a little bit more efficient in a lot of cases.
1: Interesting. Wow. That's those are those are definitely places that you're starting to see more and more articles, more and more ideas, uh, more and more things coming. So so those will those will be those will be different. So uh, as we wrap up here, um, I'm interested to get kind of your your, your take on. Um, what do you think is going to be different in 10 or 15 years from now when baby boomers no longer are the you know heads of corporations basically because they've aged out and millennials are completely at the helm. We'll be where the baby boomers are, so to speak, right? We'll be all the executives. How differently do you think that uh, what are some of those changes or differences that you see uh, will be made to corporations and how they're approaching their work?
2: Interesting question. Uh, It's difficult to determine how much of the way that baby boomers perform and act in the workplace is due to, you know, original or unique generational traits and not due to experience and age. So on one hand, I'd say that millennials are probably start acting a lot more like baby boomers at a certain point in time. They'll be known by future generations as the ones that are out of touch with technology and, you know, more conservative and whatnot. But at the same time, I'm sure that there are some traits of our unique generation that'll come with us. I think um, what we're going to see is... The technology that's around us right now is going to be, obviously, because we we're growing up with it, it's going to be much more available in the workplace. I think you know, you're know you not going to see many fax machines anymore if you do anymore anyway. Uh, paper is going to become, I think, a little bit less used, although I don't think it's going to fully fade out like some people think. And uh, I think that we're going to see, like I mentioned before, quite a lot of automation in the workplace to the point where you know the role of any human employee is going to be a creative one. But again, I'd like to caution people from viewing that as a danger to jobs. I think it's actually going to be good for the workplace. It's definitely going to increase the standard of, of living for everybody, and everybody, and no matter what level of education they have. You know, humans are really bad at a few things. We're not ever going to be able to compute or produce, or have the strength of any of the machines that we create, but we're very good at being creative and in dealing with other human beings at an emotional level. And I think that sort of creative and emotional intelligence, um, that's really what's going to stand out and separate us from the automation. And I don't think you have to have a certain level of education to be able to contribute there. In fact, I think a lot of people's talents, or I know a lot of people's talents even people who never went to school are being wasted by working in factories where a robot could replace them tomorrow. Wow. So I think we're going to see a lot of automation and a lot more creativity in the workplace. Absolutely. But I think that's true for every level.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Even as, <laughs> um, even as a CEO, even as a CEO, even as a CEO. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> Paul, this has been fascinating, and and I want to say thank you for your time and attentiveness to the world of tech. I mean, it's it's fascinating. Your background is just incredible. There's so many other things that we could have talked about, but uh, you know, we we try not to take up uh, and you know no more than an hour, but. Um, I'm sure we're going to have you back to to kind of deep dive into some of these other areas that, that you even brought up. And so much success to you. And thank you so much for joining our show today. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. What an incredible interview. What an incredible start to season two of High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. I want to thank Paul and his team at Zoozler for all they have done Thank you guys for coming on the show and giving your perspective. And I want to thank you. Yes, you, the person who's listening to this right now as an audience member. It does me uh, a a great deal of of just joy and happiness when I know that we are providing you with content uh, that you are enjoying. So thank you guys so much for listening. We would love it if you would share, like and, and subscribe to us. No matter where you found this podcast. We are on quite a few now, six in total, (laughs) different platforms. So wherever you found us, thank you so much. Please leave a comment, share this with your friends, share this within your network, your business contacts. If you're on LinkedIn, share our show on LinkedIn. Feel free to let people know that we are out here, that there's content. For those who are really wanting to learn and build their career as a millennial, as an executive, and more importantly, if you're a baby boomer, CEO, or an executive, and you're wanting to learn how to work with millennials better, this show will help you out. So thank you guys so much for listening. Share on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at HighLevelWisdom.com. Until next week, I'll see you in the next episode. Are you looking to bring your executive level team along with your emerging leadership in a one day workshop to build out how you will successfully continue to build a knowledge roadmap for success? Well, here at highlevelwisdom.com, We can help you do just that. Visit our website to learn more about how we can help you and your executive team build your emerging leadership with our one-day workshop. Feel free to send us an email at info at highlevelwisdom.com for more information. Now, as a CEO, we all know that it's very difficult to work on the future while having to deal and maintain the day-to-day task inside of your corporation, especially if it's growing. Well, at Serendipity Interactive, we bring strategy to life by helping executives make fortunate discoveries for their business by focusing on the future while they maintain the present. Are you ready to make a fortunate discovery today? Visit SerendipityInteractive.com. Tell them that you heard this ad on High Level Wisdom for new generation leaders and they will provide you with a free consultation. Serendipity Interactive, where fortunate discoveries are every day.